I had these two pictures forever that my that were my parents. It was when our racetrack was dirt, and then they paved it. And I had them sitting in the attic forever. And That's two Christmases so cool. ago, for a Christmas present, my wife took those pictures, yeah. had them framed, and then that that Charmung Speedway advertisement. Yeah, that was the very first race. She called Watkins Glen Museum. They had it archived. They sent it to her, and that was that's a picture of my dad giving out the first trophy. Wow, look at that. Who was the winner? Uh, Kale Lane. Yeah. Wow, look at that. Look at that car. Now, that was uh, modified, or was that what they called the cut-downs? No, um, bugs. They called them bugs. Okay. That is cool as hell. Holy cow. So I, I would love to give you that. And have you put it on the poster. Absolutely. Yeah, we would definitely blend that in. Hell yeah. Dude, thank you for coming on. Yeah. I, we've been wanting to get you for a while. It's huge for us you, you know, to have a two-time Truck Series champion uh, on the show. Uh, so I got lucky twice. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You were, you were definitely one of those guys to beat in the, uh, in the Truck Series. Yeah, we've, we had it going on back then. Jermaine the, Racing. Now, you ran, uh, what did you do, six races last year to complete mm-hmm. 800 starts, right? Yeah. That, that, that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of guys that have more starts, but that was just a nice milestone to get to. I mean, there's only, I think it was 28 of us now have more than 800, 800 or more. Oh, wow. So it's, it's still a pretty small group. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, you ran those races last year, what is some of the – the 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 differences that you notice with the racing with a lot of the uh, the newer batch of drivers that are out there because when you ran you know you had like Hornaday's and Setzers and Skinners in the field you know yeah. you had veterans right. you know and now you know ninety percent of the field is comprised of kids I mean there's only one or two veterans in the field you got Crafton and and who else um, Crafton's the oldest and then Ben okay and and Finger. And right. it's so funny to think they're, of Ben Rhodes. They're like Rhodes. the three oldest guys. I know. It's so funny to think of Ben Rhodes as one of the older guys in the field. Well, it's now. his eighth full season. I know. It's, it's, he's a veteran. I know. And, <laughs> and I remember when he Even was Even though he's kid. only, I think he's 28. I know. It, it's crazy. And I remember when he was a kid running legend cars and, you know, How running. How about it? And, it? It's great. It's great to see. It, it really is. But uh, Yeah, so the difference between... Back then and back in the day, and now, um, the every first thing everybody asks is how different are the trucks? Really, not a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the one thing good. NASCAR's done a great job of trying to keep rules from changing in a truck series, so things have stayed the same. Little aerodynamic differences, but not much. They got more side force, a little more downforce. Mm-hmm. Um, the motors are the biggest difference. Not as much horsepower, but they drove the same in that you try to lift off the throttle as little as possible at these mile and a half so you keep the momentum. But like you said, the big thing is the racing itself because these kids don't know any better. You know, wide open, run into you, run through you, it doesn't matter. That's how they race. We didn't do that back in the day with, right. with Hornaday and Skinner and Sprague and all these guys. We we raced each other hard when I mean, we'd, we'd rub a little bit and we'd bump a little bit, but we never took each other out. Right. You know, that, that's not racing. That's just, that's just wrecking. Yeah. I and, know. you know, and uh, Phoenix was the 
worst example of that. I, I get into arguments with people on social media all the time <laughs> because I the whole Rubbins racing thing just no. drives me nuts because they will just flat punt you out of the way and then use the excuse of Rubbins racing. I mean, I can understand, you know, door rubbing, leaning on each other yeah. when you're side by side, something like that, you know, but when you just go flat in the corner and punt the guy out of the way just to make the pass, mm -hmm. you, you didn't earn the spot. And the other thing that doesn't get mentioned a lot is these kids don't have a lot of experience, right? So when you have that lack of experience, you make a lot of mistakes. And I would say 50% of the, the crap that we see happen is mistakes. Mm -hmm. Truly is just stupidity and not knowing any better on their parts. And like Carson Hosevar running into uh, Corey Heim at Phoenix, Carson didn't mean to do it. I mean, he felt horrible afterward, but he makes those mistakes a lot. I mean, Corey drove in the corner deep. I, I've talked to him about this. He drove it in deep knowing that that clown was behind him. And, Cor and, and Carson drove it in deeper yet. You watched the video. He drove it in deeper yet. It wasn't going to turn. Right. And he run right into him. It, it's just a, a mental error in Carson's part. And it's a mistake that these guys make over and over. Yeah, but don't, do you think that these are the mistakes that they should be making in yes. the street stocks and late <laughs> models and all of that at, at that level? Absolutely. And and unfortunately, that is the state of our sport right now where trucks have become the entry level to the next level. Mm -hmm. And that's what it should be. But when you get the trucks, your race craft should already be uh, honed are you going to make mistakes? Certainly. You know, mm -hmm. kids aren't mature enough to not make mistakes. And that's part of what I, I kind of explained is that's their maturity level is just not there, but they should have already known running short tracks, how to not make those kind of mistakes. What, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what is it nowadays about the big rush to put kids in the top level of racing? I don't understand it, Eric. I don't understand it. Um, so in today's world, well, in, in the old world, with the old cars, the old cup cars, uh, even going back before the next-gen cars and all that stuff, it was a natural progression to go from trucks to Xfinity, Xfinity Cup, because every jump was a little harder and the car was the Xfinity car was a little different than a truck still had basically the same horsepower, but the bodies were different. Aerodynamics were a little different. Races were a little longer. So you, you learned your racecraft and trucks, you changed it, perfected it a little better to go to Xfinity where you have the longer races and you have to think more. You don't go balls to the wall from the green flag. So you learn it better. And the ones that were good enough and figured it out and got good at it, they went to the next level. They went to that cup series and they made it to the big time. Well, now with these cup cars, the way they are, being an Xfinity car does you no good. Mm -hmm. The only thing it's going to be good for is learning how to run a longer race. And I think these owners figure, put them in a cup car and let them figure it out there. But to learn how to drive an Xfinity car does no good to get to the Cup Series. So it's kind of like just skipping it now. 
Have you driven one of the newer cup cars no. to feel what they they're like or anything? No, what are, what have some of the drivers told you what they feel like? Uh, they're hard to drive. Um, they're they're not like the old cars. Uh, and the the biggest reason, two big reasons, they're not like the old cars, is this. Well, three. The the tires are totally different. Mm. It's a lower profile, wider tire. So it it gives you a totally different feel. The taller profile tires, you know, they have a lot of sidewall gives, so they kind of mushy, move around a little bit. These tires, there's no real short sidewall, so when you break traction or when you start to get sideways, it the sidewall doesn't give and and give you a warning about breaking traction, whether it's the front or the rear. So that's one of the big things. The steering in the new cup cars are rack and pinion. They say that it feels totally different. I don't, I can't see it myself, but that's what they say. Uh, and the independent rear suspension is just a totally different animal. So it's, to me, it's still four tires, a motor, and a steering wheel, and you got to go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why they say it's so much different than that Xfinity from trucks to Xfinity doesn't make it any better to get the cup. You know, the funny thing is, too, is, is uh, looking at, like, your stats over the years, like, you actually had a longer tenure in the Bush Series than you actually had in trucks, but you had a bigger career in the in the truck series. When you started in the, the Xfinity Series, what I saw was 1986. Well, it was, it was two races. Okay. It was actually only one race. So <laughs> I'd moved south from up north, and I went to work. I worked first for Rick Hendrick on the on the Bush cars, which Xfinity cars, the the Levi Garrett Levi cars? Garrett cars, the ones that you, the ones your brother drove. Yeah. Okay. Well, when I first moved down, Tim Richmond was driving, and my brother Brett, and okay. Jeff drove some, but it was basically those two. Well, I I quit there and I went to work for Tom Pistone, Tiger Tom. Mm-hmm. So I got to know his son Pete. Pete had an old car in his garage. I said, Pete, what are you doing with this car? He said nothing. I said, can I fix it up? He said, yeah, fix it up. We'll race it. We'll go race it. Said, cool. So Jeff was still driving for Rick Hendrick. Rick gave me a, a motor to put in, a 311 B&R motor, like <laughs> the Mac Daddy badass <laughs> motor that you can get, and went to Rockingham. Now, at this point, I had like 30 starts in my whole career. Before and, that, In what before that? In Well, in, in SK Modifieds in the New England area. Okay. Um, and I raced a, a little bit of late model stock car here. So nothing on a big track. And it was all 30 lap features, except for the stock cars were like 100 laps. So I didn't have a lot of experience. We go to Rockingham. We'll get this thing done. We'll work my tail off on it every night for months. Go to Rockingham. And I had my brother Jeff take the car out first because I'd never done anything like this. Just take it out and make sure it's good. He goes out and drive, runs this thing. He's third on the board. He's like, this car's really fast. This thing's good. He said, just a little tight, but just keep it there because you never did this before. I said, yeah, okay. So I go out. Now, I've been at Rockingham 100 times. Well, not 100, probably 15 times as a crew member mm-hmm. before I raced. So I watched drivers, and I watched what they were doing. So I knew the lines. I knew what to do. I just had to figure out how to do it. I went out and... Third lap on a track, I come off a turn two, and it jumped sideways, and I spun to the inside and hit the inside wall. So I never got the race rocking him. 
So we take it home. Rick said, look, just keep the motor. And whenever you're going to run, we'll run it. Got it back together. Went to Martinsville. And we qualified like 28th and ended up dropping out because the motor overheated. But that was 1986. Wow. So that was my one start. My next Bush start was 1990. Right. I remember it was like so, a, a while later. Yeah. Now, what, what what happened between those years? Were you just working on uh, cars? Yeah, working on them, building them, crew chiefing them. Um, my big, truly my big break came going to work for Highline Racing, which was Felix Sabatis' first team, and his partners were Bobby Hillen and Ted Condor. And Bobby was Martinsville, ironically, again, and I was working for Billy Standridge. I built him a brand-new car, and we went to Martinsville to race it. And Bobby was going to, they were starting this race team. So Bobby came over to, to the Bush side and was looking at the cars and he didn't know, he didn't have a clue who I was. He come up and he said, man, this is a nice car. Who built this? I, I built it. Man, this thing's beautiful. Ah, starting a team, you know. Then he, we talked a little bit and he left. Well, he left and literally went right back to the cup side and started talking to my brother, Brett. No clue that he was just talking to me. <laughs> and Bobby's telling Brett, yeah, we're getting ready to start this this Bush team, and I need to get some good people. Brett says, we got to go talk to my brother. He's over there. He just built this car over there, the, the pink one, because it was it was a magenta car, you know. Okay. Bobby says, you're kidding me. I was just over there looking at that thing. This thing's beautiful. Brett says, yeah, he's a good fabricator. So Bobby turned right around, come back over, come up in the back of the hall, and says, what, are you Todd? And that's how it started. So I got my break. He, Bobby hired me. And to drive? We, no, oh, to be to a fabricator. To be a fabricator? Okay. And we built Highline Racing. Okay. Bobby drove the first two years, and they let me build a sportsman car. You remember the old sportsman mm-hmm. series of Charlotte? Let me build a sportsman car in the shop. I ran four races at Charlotte and finished second three times. Never got, never won. Always, always close races and right there. Right. That was that series that Humpy started, right? Where yeah. a lot of the late model guys got old cup cars yep. and they come and run. And, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and my car was one of Jeff's old Levi Garrett cars that Waddell Wilson gave me, the <laughs> chassis. And Brett was driving for Bud Moore at the time. Look at these names you're putting out there. I mean, Bo- these are legends, yeah. man. And Bobby was driving for the Stabola Brothers right next door to our shop. And all these people gave me parts and pieces to put this car together. So when I got the car all together, I had like seven grand in it. That was it. Jeff bought the motor for it. So back fast forward. So I finished second three times. And now uh, I think it was 1990. Kyle, Bobby had to quit racing and he sold his part to to Felix and and, uh, Ted. Kyle Petty came to drive because Kyle was driving Felix's cup car. Okay. So Kyle came to drive the car and we were sponsored by Ames. We're going to run like... 15 or 16 races and Ames came to him and said look we want to run eight more races Kyle, Kyle's like I don't want to run eight races now we're standing at the shop just BSing about this when they tell him right. so, oh, you gotta know Kyle oh man I don't want to run no more races said, <laughs> let Todd drive the thing he needs to I don't want to do anymore and I'm like oh hell yeah right. put me in so Ames was a northern company I'm a northern boy and they like to the fit so I ended up I think we ran I think I ran eight races that year and did pretty good. Martinsville was our first race. We qualified like 13th. I was running fifth on 
restart with eight to go. I missed a shift, ended up finishing eighth. Did pretty good. Next race was Dover. Now, I'd never been on a big track. My first time there. Now, I'd been there many times well, as a crew member. Before this, you had run Charlotte, though, right? With those sportsmen? With the sportsman car. Well, that's true. You but had that's some big track. Four feel, races. Right? I Yeah, I kind of uh, okay. understood. It was, so, but, so you got a good point. So I ran a few races. But now, first time at Dover, which is totally different than Charlotte. But now, I've been there several times as a crew member, crew chief. and So I knew how the lines were. I knew where to let off. I knew how to do everything but hold the wheel. And went out, qualified fourth and finished third nice. my first speedway race nice. uh harry this gant is before dover was concrete and all of right that. Yeah. pavement you still had to slide the car around. harry gant won rick mast was second and i was third and we crossed the start finish line in a line that was that we'd go in a corner harry'd go way up and rick would go in the middle and i'd try to stay at the bottom you know we're all trying different things right end up finishing third that got Frank Cece and Scott Welliver's attention. Frank and Scott are from my hometown in New York. At the time, Jack Sprague was driving for him. Jimmy Spencer drove for him for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, they owned Modifieds for Mo- years, Frank, too. Frank owned a Modified, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that winter, they were going to hire a driver that had a sponsor. I won't mention the name. And they came, they flew to Charlotte to meet with the guy. Never met him before. And... They show up, and the guy's got long hair, and he's like, he's out there. He's on a different planet. The sponsor? The driver. The driver. Oh, okay. And they leave this meeting early. They said, they told the guy, oh, we got to catch a flight, but guys, we'll, we'll get back to you. Because the guy had his own sponsor. Well, they left the meeting out in the parking lot. I said, we ain't hiring this guy. Well, they had four hours until their flight. Scott says to Frank, what are we going to do? I said, let's call Bodine up. Let's call Todd up. See what. Just talk to him. Mm-hmm. Scott. Scott was actually my brother Jeff's roommate in college, so there was a connection there. Really, they were both from Elmira. I was born in Elmira, raised in Chimung down the street. We had that connection, so they called me, and I happened to be at home back then. We didn't have cell phones. Met him at the, a steakhouse over by the airport. We sat there and talked, and left there and. They hired me as their driver. Really? That's awesome. That, that was my big so, break. So who who was the guy who didn't get the ride? Uh, was it somebody who's well known today? Or? No, no. It was a it was a dirt driver. I can't actually remember was his name. Was it Jan Opperman? No, no. no. It was one of it was it wasn't Scott long, Bloomquist, was, but it was like a Scott Bloomquist. Oh, he was a, he was a dirt late model guy, long hair, just he, they said he was just out there. <laughs> yeah. So I went to work for him in ninety in in that winter. In 91, I hired Clyde McLeod, who was my brother Brett's crew chief on his modified. Clyde's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember John Monson, who was one of my oldest friends. He came to work for us. John Fabian, who I brought down from Pennsylvania. I mean, we went to work at Herb Nab Shop building, and it was a three-car garage with a little paint booth in one of them. And we built our race cars and raced out of there, and we ended up winning our, like, I don't know, it was like our eighth or tenth race out, which was Dover. With that, the, with that car, with that with team. That was the first as one. As C.C. Welliver Racing, yeah. right? That is cool, man. Yeah, that was my break. And, and that's they were how around I got started. for a long time, too, yeah. in, in the Bush Series. Well, we went from that one car team out of that garage to three teams in a 100,000-square-foot building 
racing with fully funded race teams. That's what we ended up when I left. Because they also had uh, they had uh, McLaughlin driving for him too. And, Mike and took Jimmy over. Spencer, Mike right? took over for me when I left the team. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, wow. Just now, you know what the funny thing is though, like the, all of the that story that you just told me. There's no way you would hear of a young kid doing that today, no. working on their own stuff, and, and no. you know, I mean, there are kids that do work on their stuff, which I have yeah. a ton of respect for. I'm gonna blow your mind for her. Okay. All right. Today, you want the guys 18, 19, 16. Some mm-hmm. guys are in trucks are 16. They just can't run speedways. And the next year, they're running full-time at 17, 18. I didn't start driving full-time as a professional race car driver until I was 27 years old. Right, which is considered elderly by today's, today's standards. standards. Yeah, yeah, like 27. Isn't that crazy? aren't looking at you. No. It, it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, that was going to be the other thing that I, I was going to say. Like uh, you've you've been around for different generations of racing, where you mm-hmm. worked on your stuff to get a ride. Uh, other guys would bring money to the deal, and then now you know to racing with this younger generation. How do you keep that longevity along those years to be able to uh, really kind of re you know uh, metamorphosize or change with the sport as it changes? I, I I don't know. Um, I just got lucky. I, I you know I was in a generation where if you 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 got your opportunities and you got hired because of your talent. Mm-hmm. I was in that generation and that that time frame. And today it's it's not so much. The first question they ask is, well, how much money you got? Yeah. And then they worry about whether you can drive or not. Um, but I, I just I just got lucky. I really did. I mean, I had good people. Um, you know, I I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, I I should have had a a bigger career. I should have been a cup guy more better. I should have done things differently. But at the same time, man, I had a great career. Like and what? I can't though, what complain. do you think you should have? Well, done I had a couple opportunities <laughs> with some of the bigger cup teams. Um, sometimes it didn't line up with my contract, and I couldn't. You know, those kinds of things. Um, one time I just flat turned them down and I don't want to say who it was, but it was the big teams. And if I had, I thought with my heart instead of my head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was driving for Butch Mock, I had three offers from cup teams, big teams. And I promised Butch that I would stay with him and build a winning cup team together. She remained loyal. I try. I, I remained loyal. You know what, though? But and that's then, respectable. Well, and then after the second year, Bush fired me. Ah. Uh, uh. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I get should it. I have done things different? Yeah. But I could go to sleep at night knowing I did the right thing. Right. No, I, I get what you mean. Uh, there's a lot of times where being loyal, it had hurt me in the past, too. But the that longevity, though, that you were talking about you've managed to kind of do it along the ways in the broadcasting and then also doing, you know, NASCAR race hub and, and the, the truck series stuff. So, uh, do you still get enjoyment and fun out of doing, doing that? You know, when professional athletes get done in their career, you know, 99% of the time they're standing there like, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Right. They all don't go into broadcast, and they all don't have businesses. They just stand there. Well, what do I do, right? I got so lucky 
at the end of my career. Uh, in the middle of 13, I was driving for Thor Sport, and it just wasn't working. And we're not running well, and Duke was spending his own money, and I said, look, Duke, let's, let's just stop. You don't need to waste your money. I've won races. I've had a great career. I, I'm, I'm good. We don't need to go out here and look like fools every week. Mm-hmm. He agreed. So we stopped racing in the middle of the season. Two weeks later, Dan Schutte called me up. He was a producer at the time uh, with the truck series or working with the truck series. And said, hey, look, Michael's going to Goodwood, and he's going to miss the Iowa race. Would you want to come and do the booth for Iowa? Be you, Phil, and I forget who was anchor at the time. And probably it was the it was the Fox Sports might, one day. It might have been Rick might Allen. Been, yes, oh, it was. Yes, it was Rick. That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I couldn't remember that. But Rick, Phil, and I went up in the booth for Iowa. First time I ever did anything like this, and I wasn't the best. I didn't. I kind of shy a little bit, but I did okay. And they said, "Look, we got some more races we need to fill in." So I think the first year I did three. The next year I did five. But I also started doing, they said, look, we need, we're going to, how would you like to do the pre-race show with Daniel Trotta? Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. That's where it started. I've been working for him ever since. So I just got lucky and fell into another career that I'm really enjoying. I'm, I have fun every week. Kind of got a little niche here with doing the, the pre-race show, race day show with, with Caitlin. And we've had a lot of other guys. Now it's with Trevor mm-hmm. and myself. Um Got that little niche and enjoy doing it every week. And we got a hub segment every week for, you know, six to, to ten minutes. Um, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I got a neat little spot I'm in. And you don't have to do all the hustle and bustle and the traveling and, you know, jumping from airplane to airplane. Yeah, yeah, that was, at first, that was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to drive around. I don't have to go to the track. I get to stay home. You know, spent my whole life every weekend at a racetrack. Right. And I was like, oh, finally stay home. Well, that lasted for about two months. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I got to go to racetrack. I am jonesing. I'm like, this sucks, <laughs> you know. And went through that phase, and then it settled in. Okay, this is what it is. I'm enjoying it, and okay. And then after talking to some other drivers, Hornaday and, and Skinner and Sprague, and they all went through the same process. Same exact thing. It's like, oh, thank God. We, this is good. Let's get to stay home. In a little while, you're like, oh, man, I got to go to racetrack. Right. This sucks. <laughs> and then you kind of fall into it. So, I got you. Um, but I'm, I'm loving it. How, I'm have loving you fallen into any short track racing around the area or done anything like that? Um, I mean, because Bobby Labonte's running the Smart Modified yeah. Tour. That might that would be something fun for you to do every once in a while. To, well, you know. I tell you what I'd really like to do is some road racing in the Trans Am Series. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love road racing. Mm-hmm. I, there's not many race car drivers that don't because it's just so much fun. But I did some racing with... Uh, SVRA, Stock Car Vintage Racing Association. Uh, Tony Perella runs it, and he also has the Trans Am Series, and they do everything on the same weekends together. So right before COVID, he was doing what they called V-Rock, Vintage Race of Champions, and he have 10, 12 vintage guys, and some of them weren't even retired. I won't say retired, but some of them weren't retired. But we had a, it was a four-race series, mm. and he didn't have to do all the races, 
Uh, one year I did one, and the next year I did two, and then COVID, and they didn't couldn't do it anymore. But we were having a ball. We were racing in in like sixty eight to seventy two vets. That oh really? Yeah. Okay. And it was forty five minute race, and it was like a pro am. So the guy that owned the car raced. I think it ended up he had they had to race like four minutes at least okay. out of a forty five minute race, and then you switch drivers and you finish the race. Um, and man, we had so much fun. You, where, which tracks did you run at? Like road, I ran, uh, road I Atlanta ran, and, well, Road Atlanta was one, but mm-hmm. I'd, uh, Coda, they've been to Coda with them, but the races that I ran, I ran two at VIR mm-hmm. and one at Indy on the road course. Okay. Yeah. So and it, I finished podium, the first two, and the last one at VIR, I ended up winning it. No kidding. Yeah. Awesome. VIR is a cool track, man. It's awesome race it, track. It really is. Yeah. I, I was there actually before the oak tree fell. I don't know if you were you ever saw it, that. They, yeah, that was up when they they told me it fell. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was. What there a shame. Then. What a what a shame. But what a cool track. Yeah. <clears throat> I called uh, uh, Playboy Mazda MX5 Cup races there that were ended in three wide finishes. A bunch of uh, K and N races with Arca. Actually, I interviewed Austin Sindrick for his very first NASCAR win oh, when cool. he had it there. Yeah, over the years. Um, actually, let's go back a little bit to the to the beginnings. Uh, when I had your brother on the show, one of the first things that he opened up talking about was working at Shimong Speedrome. Now, did you work at the track too as a kid, like the, like he did? No, I was I was younger. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we like. We grew up at the racetrack. That's that's what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, uh, I had my first seven birthdays at the infield of Daytona 500. <laughs> because when you're a racing family, where you go on vacation, you go yeah. to February Daytona and watch the race. Speed weeks. My birthday's in February. so. Uh, but I grew up at the racetrack. Okay. And for my first 11 years, I could have cared less about the racing. I didn't want nothing. I've raiding the concession stand and the candy stand with my buddies and we we're just running around. I never even watched the races. Could have cared less. And when I was 11, Brett had started racing street stocks. And they, he was, you're 11, he's how old? 16. Okay. All right. And him and his buddies would be out in the shop working on the car and I'd go out and just hang out and looks because I want to hang out with the big guys, right? Big boys. Yeah, I wiped the car down and pushed the broom and just kind of hanging out. Well, he asked me one week, you want to go to the race? Okay, I'll go. You know, it was Perry, New York. First time he'd ever went there to race. And I, obviously I wasn't old enough to get in. So they snuck me in in the back of the hauler. <laughs> and I kind of stayed around the car the whole time. I was nervous, you know, the little kid didn't know. Well, he never raced there before. And he, he went out and won the race that night. So now the race is over, so who cares? I'm going out to victory lane. This is cool, you know, and we're out there, and the trophy girls and the stands are yelling and screaming and having fun. The trophy, I was like, this is pretty darn cool right here. Now I understand why these guys work on this race car every night. Right. This is really cool. And that's when the whole thing changed for me. And I said, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of hung out in the shop and helped a little bit and went to a couple more races that year. And we ended up moving to went to new England when I was 13. Um, dad had sold the racetrack. We went out there. Jeff was racing modifieds there. Brett had turned the mic a little towards you. Oh, there you there go. we go. There you go. <clears throat> and Brett had gone off to college. He was still racing, still racing street stocks. Actually started running some modifieds for Wayne Miller, right. who was LW's, LW's dad, dad yeah, yeah. who Wayne just passed recently. Uh, but, 
So we're out there, and I become friends with Rick Armstrong, who is the son of Dick Armstrong, who owned Jeff's cars. Right. Well, Ricky was older, and he started racing a late model at Stafford. So I was just going to school, and Ricky really didn't care about working on the cars. Yeah, he, he's, he's too much having fun, which I had a lot of fun with him. We were buddies, <laughs> don't get me wrong. And But Hoppy Harrington, who Hop was one of the old-time racers in New England, Won a bunch of oh, races. No, I, was, we know him from NEMA because he raced with the midgets yes. in NEMA for for years. Now Hoppy retired at this point, and he was Hoppy was he was older. Heck, he was probably sixty three. Older. Heck, I'm almost sixty. Are you really? Yeah, fifty nine. Fifty nine. Wow. Yeah. I just turned forty nine last week. Oh, you got a long <laughs> way to go. You're a young pup. But Hop would come pick me up when I got out of school. The shop was only three miles from where I lived and from where the school was. We lived right by the school. He'd come pick me up after school and take me to the race shop so I could work on the race car. Okay. So that was my first working as a mechanic, as a fabricator on a race car. So Hoppy taught me how to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Jeff was there racing. So I kind of became the fabricator, the, the cleaner, the parts guy, the, you know, I was the kind of the crew chief on this thing. The everything guy. The late model, yeah. <laughs> and ended up, Ricky started racing, and we did pretty good. Ended up winning, winning a race, and I was officially the crew chief at the time. So I was like, this is cool, you know. In the late models. In the late models. Okay, and really, the late models at Stafford were were pretty heavy, Very too, man. You had guys yeah. like, uh, who was it, Jim McCallum and uh, Paul well, Richardson, I'll, right? I'll, I'll throw another name out there. The car that we bought that End of that season, before we started racing, was a Nova that Mike Stefanik had raced the year before. Wow. No yeah. kidding. Was that a car that Mike built? Yeah. Wow. I think he, I think him and his brother built it, yeah. Okay. I mean, look at, you know, look at the, how that path goes for you because, you know, as a young kid, you're learning what it takes to put the car on the track. Mm-hmm. A lot of these kids nowadays, they don't, they don't they understand No that. clue. I know. No clue. Uh, so you went from Shemung to live in New England? For yeah, a just years? outside of Boston, Bellingham. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was it just for to, to live or was it go, to go racing? Well, my my mom and dad went to work for Dick Armstrong, the guy that owned Jeff's car, mm-hmm. owned all the race cars. He had a jewelry factory, and they went to work at the jewelry factory. So we moved out there because Jeff was there racing, so we went racing with him, and they worked there. And, so and I thought they had owned the racetrack for all those years. No, no, they had sold it. Dad sold it in '77. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, because okay. our first year out there was '78. Okay. And Jeff won 55 races out of 78 starts that year. Yeah, he made some like world record or something. Guinness like Book that. of World Records. Yeah. Highest percentage winning percentage for modifieds for racing. Okay. Period. That's yeah. a, that's unbelievable. So uh, in those years, is that when you hopped in the SK? No. So we moved from there. Now, in the meantime, Jeff moved to North Carolina to start racing down here for Emmanuel Sorakis. And what, that's like 80, what, three, four? Uh, 1980. Okay. And we moved down to Virginia. Okay, so now Satch Worley another racer, modified racer mm-hmm. himself. Him and his dad were building a racetrack. 
they hired my dad to come help build the racetrack and help promote it because dad did it for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, what better than that kind of experience, right? Right. So we moved to Virginia, just north of Martinsville. I ended up graduating high school there. I didn't do any racing. I went, I went raced with Jeff a little bit in a sportsman series, which is now Xfinity. Mm-hmm. Um, around the south, he was driving for Manor Savakis. The white uh, 99 white, cars. Right? White Tornado. Okay. Yeah. South Boston, Orange <laughs> County, South Side, Langley. Right. I mean, Old Dominion, all of them. Right. And uh, I graduated high school there and immediately moved back to Connecticut, where now Brett was racing Modifieds full-time for Sherry Cup. Mm-hmm. I went to work in the Paper Cup factory, and it – and after I get out of work, I worked there from six to four every day in the maintenance department. And after I get out of work, I go work on a race car every night. Well, yeah. that that Until first what, mid, like midnight. Well, <laughs> it wasn't that bad because Brett was there working all day, so I'd he'd give me some tasks and I'd work a little bit and go home. Right. Well, but that Thanksgiving, I don't know how detailed you want me to get into Dude, all this. Go tell us stories, okay. man. That's so what that, drives the show. So that Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. we we were Brett was friends with Dick Trainer. Dick owned a trucking company and also raced modifieds. That beautiful number five car. Exactly. Yep, I remember it. So when he bought that first beautiful number five, it was that time frame, uh, we went over to his house for Thanksgiving. Just me, Brett, and his wife, Diane. And we're sitting around BSing before dinner. And I see this car, race car, sitting out back, an old Pinto. It didn't say nothing. So we sit down and eat dinners. Dick, what's that old car out there? So oh, that's just one of my old cars. It's just a junker we got sitting out there. Okay. So after think after dinner's done, stick. I'm gonna go look at that car. I right, go ahead. So I go out and I look at the car, and it's complete. I mean, less less motor, but it had gauges. It had the rear end. It had everything to make a race car. And sitting right next to it was this bare frame. So I go back and ask Dick, "What are you gonna do with that car?" He says, "I don't nothing." I said, "Can I buy it from you?" Here I am, a kid. I make $400 a week in a paper cup factor. What am I going to do, right? Got no shop. I got nothing. He said, no, but I'll give it to you. I said, holy cow, are you kidding me? That's cool. I said, can I have the frame too? He said, yeah, take them both. So I get the frame. Brett's owner gave me a corner of the race shop to build a race car. So I had this race car, and I was putting everything I had into it. I didn't have to put a lot into it because it had most of the parts. I had to buy brakes, I think, you know, and brake so lines. It was, and odds it was and what? It was just a lot of cleaning and re- restoring No, well, or? I took everything off of the old car mm-hmm. and built that new frame as a new race car. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I had two friends, uh, uh, Andy Cutts and Bill Goldflat. They bought the motor. And here we go. We go racing at Stafford. My first experience driving a race car. In SKs. In SKs. And what year was this? That was 83. No kidding. Wow. And so you were we like went, before the Ted Christopher era at Stafford. Yeah. No kidding. Well, no, Teddy started in SKs the same time I did. Okay. Yeah. So would you guys both compete for Rookie of the Year at, uh, well, at Stafford? Well, let me go, go further now. So the first week we go up, and we can't race because the steering's messed up. I had to fix it. So we go up the second week, and we race. My first race uh, was funny. Misqualifying in a heat race by one spot. So I started on this outside pole in the Conci. Uh, top two made it. I finished second. So I'm starting last in the feature. 28th in a 25-lap feature. 
SK Modifieds. Ended up finishing seventh. Nice. But I never passed a car. Because <laughs> they were killing each they other. They were all just wrecking out of the way. I'm just, like, I'm just driving. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm just, At least so, you're getting good practice avoiding shit. You know? So the next week, uh, now Jeff and Brett were in the south at this point. Brett had moved south because he was only running a modified part-time at this point. And Jeff came up. Actually, no, I think Brett was still full-time. But Jeff had come up for a Wednesday night show, and we did a match race. Just the three of us on the track. Big promotion Stafford did for a Wednesday night race. You, Brett, and Jeff. Me, Brett, and Jeff. That's cool. So we go out to practice a little, Brett. Uh, I forget what car Jeff was driving. Brett was driving the coupe. I remember the 83 coupe. That was a famous car up there. Yes, the yeah. white car. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was blue, and it was all different colors. But anyway, well, we're out practicing. My motor blows up in my car. So now... I have to run uh, the Pryor brothers brought their car up as the backup spare if something happened. And so I had to drive their car. I never go out for the race. I didn't practice it or nothing. So we go out there and we're racing and we're right together. And pretty soon Jeff and Brett get goofing around. They pulled away. I caught them. I figured out how to drive a little bit, caught them. And unbeknownst to me, they'd gotten together. said, look, we'll let Todd get out front race a little bit and lead and, and then we'll we'll go out and pass them and we'll race for the lead mm-hmm. they let me get out front and they couldn't catch me they couldn't pass me <laughs> right, right. i ended up winning a race it's like this is pretty cool and they both said they'll admit it it's the, they couldn't pass me they were trying to catch me i got better with the car car handled good so that was my first time so that's awesome. Yeah. That was that challenge of champions they did, right? Where Earnhardt <laughs> would come up and run a late model and some with Tim Richmond and Bouchard, right? They did stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The Bouchard brothers were there too. They had their own thing going on though. Okay. Yeah. So how and many- actually it was a Friday night race, okay. which is a whole nother story about a junk, a dump truck motor that we put in my car to race Seekonk that next Saturday. Oh God. So you've run Seekonk. Well, okay. we raced Seekonk for 13 weeks. Okay. The best time I ever had racing. Seekonk, yeah, it's fun track. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of side-by-side action at Seekonk. But the fun part was, was a bunch of us kids, right? I ran the same set of tires for 13 weeks. The money that we made, we'd finish between 4th and 7th every week. And the money that we made, it it paid to maintenance the race car, paid to get the tow truck, to get the car to the racetrack, paid for everybody on our, my crew which was like five guys i paid for them all to get in mm-hmm. and it bought all the beer for after the race every week wow that's how, that's how we raced for 13 weeks do you, you I, I hate to say it this way but do you think we need to get back to that i mean i know it's harder than ever to do that because of the way the racing even is. even in short track today this the money is so big the cost so much to build a car and to race some people kind of have that fun, but most people aren't. Right. Um, how many years did you run the SK at Stafford? Well, I ran only a couple races at Stafford before the motor blew up. Then we raced Seekonk. Okay. The next year, I, I tried to race in the beginning of the year, and I just I had no money. I couldn't okay. afford to do it. It wasn't another dump truck laying around? <clears throat> no, no. <laughs> well, yeah, just have, tell, me, tell us the dump truck motor story. How the hell so we that? blew the motor at Stafford, and my buddy, Mike LaJoy... <laughs> 
Okay, who's, I know Mike. He ran midgets in Yuma. Yeah, 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 he ran super yeah. modifieds yeah. for a little while too. And his, his dad was Connie, Connie Conrad, was Connie, mm-hmm. and Connie owned winning modifieds for George Summers at Seekonk. They won championships. The Gore. They had a plumbing company. Plumbing company, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Mike calls his dad. I said, Dad, we need a motor for the race car. He said, We we have the dump truck. We just they, what they do is the plumbing company throw all their trash in it, and once a week they take it to the dump, dump it, and bring it back. That's all that dump truck did, and they had just rebuilt the motor in it. It's kind of said, "Come get the motor." So load the car up, off to to Massachusetts we go, and we pull in there. In the meantime, Connie had called a guy, Smiley Waterman, who's a motor man. Smiley called Nat Chevertone, who owned a motor shop. Nat's they got, engines. Yep, yep, they yep. got lifters and a cam and <laughs> parts and pieces. We pull the motor out of the race car. We push the dump truck under uh, an old barn, and they had the lift coming out the end with the chain fall. Pull the motor out of the dump truck. They pull it apart. They change the cam. We're working all night long. I mean, there's like six or eight of us, you know, working all night. Right. Putting this motor together, we get it in the car. We get it started about one thirty in the afternoon, and it's a little three oh seven. It wasn't built for racing. Started up, Connie rolls underneath, and the front main seal was leaking. I said, Damn it! What are we gonna do now? We don't have time to pull the pan down and put seals in. It's kind of. I got this. He's a plumber by trade, so in plumbing. To hold the sink to a counter, they used to have little C-grip clamps. And they just screw it, and it pulls it down and holds it. Kind of goes on there, takes brake clean, sprays it all off, gets all the oil, dries it with an air hose, gets it clean, takes a tube of silicone, and just silicones, and he smears it all up around it, and he's just got it covered. He takes about six or eight of those clamps and clamps (laughs) the, the oil pan to the to block with those clamps. It's right, it's right there by the harmonic bail. It's just like, it's just ridiculous. Let it dry for about 20 minutes. Sat there and let it dry. So all right, started up, started up, and the damn thing didn't leak. <laughs> That's awesome. We threw the car on the scales, we scaled it quick, put it on the trailer, and off to Seekonk we went. Wow, it's great. And, so and you had to race with some big names at Seacon. Oh yeah, I mean, Eddie Savory San Angelo, Savory. I mean, there was yeah, a lot uh, of yeah. uh, Freddie Estelle or De Castell. De Castell, yeah. Castell, they yeah. were they were uh, tough to race. I announced at Seacon for years, uh, so I had really had grown to have a love for the track. It was one of the tracks that launched my career. So quick story there. So now we qualify in the heat race, and now I'm dead tired. Right, we're lined up. Getting, getting the cars lined up for the feature. I'm tired. So I, I climb in the car. And I put the seatbelts on. I didn't have my helmet on. Bugsy Stevens comes over. I don't know. We've known Bugsy forever. And he kneels down beside the car. Well, this is an R-rated show, right? So I can, yeah. I can do some Yeah, you can say whatever so. you want. So everybody watching, Bugsy was crazy. Okay. <laughs> he said, okay. He kneels down. He's on his knees. And he said, okay. Listen, you little son of a bitch. He reaches behind his back, pulls out a forty-five, cocks it, puts it up to my head. No oh, shit. He said, listen, you little son of a bitch, this is what you're going to do. You're going to run half a groove off the wall in a straightaway. You're going to run half a groove off the bottom in the corners. And that's they're not going to be able to pass you if you do that. And he said, if you don't do what I'm telling you, 
I got a little something, some lead for you when you come back in this garage right <laughs> So I go from being dead tired to be scared to death at this point. You're white as a ghost. Yeah. So we go out in the feature and started like, I think we started like seventh or eighth, got up to third, and you know, we had no horsepower and we're racing against these built 358s, but you know, Seekonk's a circle, so you don't really need a lot of horsepower. So here come the guy with the built motors, the guys in the built motors, Andy San Angelo and Savory and those guys. You know, this little at a time, and it just passed me. We end up finishing seventh or eighth, mm-hmm. first time out. Come in, man, we, we thought we won the race. So that was our first Seekonk experience. That and, is- we, and we ended up racing 12 more weeks uh, with, well, 10 weeks with the same set of, well, 13 weeks with the same set of tires. The 12th week, or the 12th week, the same set of tires. The 12th week. 12 races Eddie, out, of a set of a, out of a set of tires. Old, like, old McCreary, as hard as this table. It's unheard of. The only reason I got a new set of tires is Eddie St. Angelo, who was friends with my brother Brett and his wife, came over and said, look, you cannot race on these hockey pucks anymore. He said, I got a set of tires over here. I took off. I didn't care for them. I didn't like them. There's nothing wrong with them. They just didn't suit what we needed. He said, come over here and get them and put them on your car. They only had one practice on them, so they're brand new. Mm -hmm. I was like, hell yeah, I'll take a brand new set of tires. (laughs) So that's the only reason I had new tires. Oh, my God. It's just you. that's unheard of anymore. I mean, uh, to be able to do those things. And the Bugsy story is fantastic. And that just totally sounds like Bugsy, too. Because the last time I chatted with him, we were at a modified tour race at Seekonk. And he's sitting there in his his uh, scooter, and he's staring at the car. And I go over and I shake his hand. He looks at the car, the old blue, the one that one that he used to drive. Yeah. He's pointing to it. He goes, "When I ran these things, they didn't have no rules. Now they've made rules and fucked it all up." <laughs> that's, that's Bugsy. That's Bugsy. Yeah. Oh my God. So uh, you moved down here. You you made a huge career for yourself in the Bush series, and then. Uh, you know, you ran, oh God, how many years in Cup? A uh, bunch of years in Cup. Uh, well, f- two full years with Butcher Mock, mm-hmm. and then back to Xfinity. Mm-hmm. Um, ran some some Cup stuff in there, substituted for Bill Elliott a couple, a few times, and just different things. And then uh, 98 was the Tabasco fiasco. The Tabasco fiasco. Yeah. <laughs> I went to this team, it was supposed to be the greatest thing ever, and the 35 That's, car, right? Yeah. Who was the team owner? Uh, what, Bob Hancher and Gary Salee. What was the name of the team again? Team Tabasco. Team, t- okay. Yeah. Okay. At the time, it was the best sponsor in the sport. You know, teams were getting $5 million, $4 million to run a full season in cup, mm-hmm. and we had $6 million. Wow. But they were dishonest people, and it didn't went went south in a hurry, and then up, they fired me halfway through the year. So and then I went back to the Bush Series. Uh, race for CC again. We won races, fourth in a championship. I mean, we we had a good time doing Finished that. Finished second in the championship to Randy. To Randy, that, to Randy that was that, uh, that was that was actually before Tabasco. Mm-hmm. That was '97 with a Stanley car. Okay, yeah, I got you. And then uh, ended up Travis Carter hired me. It's when he had two cars. Daryl retired. I took over for Daryl, right. and Jimmy Spencer was my teammate. And we ran for for Kmart to right. start with. It was Kmart, and then he had just the Discover then Card. Dis- and- well, Discover Card, and at the end we had National Guard. How much higher of a 
the stress was it racing in cup compared to the other series that that you would run in because it's it's obviously well, a performance-based business and you had performed in trucks you performed in the bush series like what is the stress level or what is the emphasis to, to put on you to perform in that honestly Derek, it, to me it didn't matter mm-hmm. i i always put enough pressure on myself to perform no matter what I was driving. Mm -hmm. It was, you got to perform, you got to do it right. Um, So for me, it was no more pressure than if I was driving trucks or Xfinity. Now, the difference between the two was I always had more fun with Xfinity and trucks, especially the trucks at Jermaine. We had a great team. It was it was like every member was like family members. It truly was. Right. You hear you, and Mike you hear teams talk about that, but we really did. We had a family at Jermaine Racing. Right. Well, when uh, <laughs> when was the when was the last year anybody had fun in Cup? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. It's such an emphasis no, on performing. It's it just, is. Yeah. It is. And right when I got with Travis is when Cup really really changed to a business-driven model mm-hmm. instead of a having fun and a bunch of guys racing kind of a model. You know, right. you you had to make a business out of it to survive. And the ones that were strong survived. And unfortunately for Travis, uh, you know, we got down to the end with Discover Card and we thought we were good for the next year, which was going to be 04. This Discover Card was all in and we just... Contracts hadn't been signed yet, but they were everybody was under the impression we were racing in 04. Well, like three races to go in the season, Discover Card comes to us and says, Look, we can't do it. You know, they were owned by um, one of the big financial companies, I can't remember which one it was, but they that company was upside down, oh, but okay. Discover Card was making money. Mm-hmm. So they had Discover Card's profit had to go to keep the other side alive. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't spend any money in our race team. So here we are, three weeks before the season is over, got no sponsor for 04. Mm-hmm. And Travis, I mean, I, I he had to let me go. Uh, and they tried to run some races the next year, odds and, odds and ends, but he just couldn't survive and couldn't come up with a sponsor. And he had to sell his teams. So... Like, is that like a moment or a point where you're kind of realizing that this is going more in the corporate level and the corporate direction that I need to change how I am or present myself to a sponsor or at least keep in the business? You know, that, that longevity thing, really, in a way. Yeah. At this point for me, when it all went down, it was just about finding a job. And at that point, I just got to get a job. So started 04 and I had no job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing starting parks for Larry Gunzelman in the Cup Series, which we were doing all well. We were making money because we would make the races. We'd made all the races. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through 04, Mike Hillman Sr. called me, which I'd known Mike forever. He, he We had our shops next to each other, and he'd work late, I'd work late. We'd get done, we'd go outside and have a beer together. you know. So I'd known him forever, and he was Brett's crew chief for a while. He calls me up and says, look, I got these three brothers. They're, they're Toyota dealers out of Columbus, Ohio. We're going to start a Toyota truck team. And then another guy out of Florida is friends with them. We're all going to be in it. I said, I want you to come drive this thing. I said, cool. I'd love to do it. 
uh, with Toyota backed, Toyota funded. Uh, need you to come down to the shop from such and such and meet these guys. So Steve, Steve Germain tells the story the best. So I go down to the shop. They're, they come down from Ohio. They fly down, all three of them. And I walk in the shop to meet these guys for the first time. And they're all in their, their suits and ties, you know, and <laughs> being car dealers. I walk in. I got flip-flops on, shorts, and a T-shirt. <laughs> I got a ball cap. I say, hey, how you doing? Meet each other. Steve Germain says, I got a question for you. Right off the bat, he says it, because you got to know Steve. He's he's no no bones about it, right? He says, I got a question for you. Is this how you come dressed to every interview? <laughs> so, like, okay. I, I said right back, and I said, well, I didn't come here for an interview. I came here because I thought I had a job. <laughs> they all start laughing and that was hired it. me that day and we went on and won two championships and 21 races broke the ice and that was yeah. that was it huh yeah. like and, and the relationship <laughs> that you had with mike hillman too it was like one of them strong driver crew chief combinations like we see with like ray and jeff or, or yeah. you know daryl and jeff and yeah that, it was big well that's that's clarifying now mike hillman senior Mm-hmm. Uh, was the one that started it, and he's hired me. And we oh, okay. went the first year in 04, and we finished fourth at Richmond. We went to California and won. Should have won Vegas the next week. I mean, we like we were kicking butt yeah. from right from day go. Mm-hmm. Mike Hillman Jr. came to be the crew chief that winter, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's when we just we went on fire. Mm-hmm. So. Me and Junior became really close friends. Mike was my best man in my wedding. Right. Junior. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was it was one of those relationships, and we got to the point where I could tell him something. You know, it's loose getting in the corner, and he'd know from the tone of my voice and what I was saying how to fix the truck. I mean, it was that that kind of relationship. Right. It's and not- I had I had full confidence in him. He had full confidence in me, and it was just it was it was magic. It's one of those things that uh, you you don't see much of anymore. You're, mm-hmm. You that it's very it's very much you're here to do a job, whereas you you, you try to see that chemistry that that blends and yeah. it's it's tough. And, but we like I said earlier, we were a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, every guy on the crew in the shop, it, we were all family, and it truly was that way. That's I mean, cool. they they. Senior would have parties at his house or get together at his house, and the, the whole shop would go. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because, you know, he invited them all because they were family and they came to a family function. And that's how we all treated it, and that's how it was from day one. And it was just a different different kind of race team to be a part of. When everyone's pulling in the same direction, it's amazing all the magic that could well, be created, right? Everybody had confidence in everybody. You know, the crew members knew that guy was working his tail off. And if he needed help, he went over there to help him. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to be told. You know, yeah. it was everybody was for everybody, one for all and all for one. It was, it was truly uh, the way we lived. Now, the, the, they ended up getting out of racing just because of the cost of it, right? It was harder to find sponsors. And yeah, all yeah. Bob, the, the brothers wanted out, and Bob's kept going with the – the cup team for a while with Geico and he did okay and they had fun, but it's just, it was just got to be too much of a hassle and um, money and all that. And just Bob wanted out and just enjoy life. 
Mm-hmm. Well, now, uh, nowadays, um, what do you see with this younger generation of drivers? I mean, are, we're seeing like some rising issues in racing that weren't as prominent as they were before. Um, the racing is, in a way, it's kind of gotten a little more brutal with guys beating on each other. But uh, what are some of the things that you can tell these guys that you know that you could give advice to? Well, the the first thing you got to look at why why is racing so tough right now? Well, NASCAR has done a great job in making a level playing field. Mm-hmm. So all the cars, all the trucks, they're all the same. Now, well, Cup, everybody's got the same race car, right? Because mm-hmm. it's all bar, store-bought pieces. Uh, Xfinity, everybody has the same body. Yeah, there's small things you can do, but you know everybody's got the same stuff. All the parts and pieces are the same. Trucks, same thing. It's the same truck for, for the last 10, 12 years. Nothing's changed. The bodies have developed a little bit, but everybody has a good body. Everybody has the same motor. They all race on the same tires. All the parts and pieces are the same. So now... You've got a whole field of trucks, a whole field of Xfinity, a whole field of Cup. Everybody's got the same vehicle. So they all go the same speed. Mm-hmm. So when everybody's going the same speed, it's hard to pass. Yeah. So now you see it's so hard to pass, you see all this blocking. If a guy gets a run on a guy, he gets blocked. Because if you don't block him, you're getting passed, and you're probably not going to pass him back. Mm-hmm. That's why it's gotten to this point. And in trucks, it's really bad because... Again, like we talked earlier, the kids don't understand racing. They just rather wreck you, you know, oh, and it's it's just brutal. And because they're all the same, all the fast trucks are the same speed, it's, it's that much harder. You, you know, what I, what really bothers me is that some of these kids need to be made to work on Absolutely. some of these trucks again. Absolutely. Or, or just racing in, in general because... I know that there are many times when I've been at the track, I've gotten cleaned out by a young kid, and I'm over here thrashing, putting the front end back together, you know, spending money on tires, rims, a spindle that got wrecked, tie rods, you know, and then they look over and they're tossing a the football around, and mm-hmm. the paid crew <clears throat> or the development team is putting it together. So when they hop back in that car, it's ready to go, you know, they, and, and then they'll just, Go out and do it again. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've I've said seven, the problem. Let's just times. interrupt you really quick. Sorry. The problem is too is what it's doing at that level is it's driving the father son teams away because they can't afford to do it anymore. Very true. Very true. I think a lot of the mentality that these young kids have is two things. Uh, one, grow up racing, I racing, you wreck. Control up, delete. You go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't. There's no consequence in it. Yeah. And when they get into bandoleros or legends cars or quarter midgets or go karts, whatever it be, um, they're told when they're six, seven, eight years old, why, why didn't you, why did you finish second to that kid? Next time you hit him and you knock him out of the way, yeah. you go on and win the race. So this is what their mentality is drilled into their heads from when they start as a kid. So that's what they think. And I always said, you know, I, I, I want to start a truck team someday. I, I was really close last year and it just didn't happen. But I've told several people, when I own a truck team, my driver is not getting paid to drive the truck. My driver is going to get paid to work in the shop. And because he works in the shop, he gets to drive the truck. Okay. 
and his his schedule is going to be in the mornings he works out does his this fitness routine mm-hmm. comes to work he's at the shop by 11 o'clock so he can go to lunch with his team comes back from lunch and he works on the trucks he works on the shocks He's, he's putting bodies on. He's learning everything about that truck. He goes and does the bump steer. He sets it up on a setup plate. He's going to learn what it takes to make that truck go. And when he knocks a nose off or knocks the side off, he's going to be there and he's going to cut the side off. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be there and help the guy put the side back on. Do you see He's going to realize the consequence of his stupidity on the racetrack. Are you seeing that with any drivers nowadays who no. are working on their stuff? No. no. I mean, I do hear, like, um, Carson Quapple's a really good example. Like, he goes in and works on the late models that he mm-hmm. races, which I, I think is fantastic, which I think has helped him also, <clears throat> not only as a driver, but I think to get that truck ride that he had got mm-hmm. earlier this year. Um, so who is, like, someone that you would look at to possibly put in your, your, your uh, hypothetical team <laughs> right now? Um, well, I, what I would like to have, and again, I was really close last year, but it didn't happen, is a three-truck team. And I'd have a veteran mm-hmm. that I know is going to go out and be competitive and get the job done. I would love to have a minority of some sort, you mm-hmm. know, young kid, young girl that, that, that can drive, and I want to give somebody the chance, mm-hmm. right? And then a young kid, there's a development, somebody that you think – has the opportunity, has the skill set to do what it is, and you give them the opportunity, mm-hmm. um, like a Carson Quapple. You know, um, there's there's several of these kids out there that are just really good. Like a Jesse Love, he got his opportunity with RCR next year. Awesome. I mean, that kid's a good racer. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of kids like that. Um, it's a huge undertaking though yeah. to start your own team. It, it is. Well, uh, I, I was going to team with somebody. Okay. Yeah, an existing team. Did you did you imagine yourself into that team owner role someday? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. So, Um, but it has to be funded, and that therein lies the catch, because it's it's hard to get funding to do this. Yeah, it really is. You you know, some of the the young kids come up to me, and they were like, you know, how do I get a ride in in this car? How do I get a ride in that car? I'm like, stop looking for a ride and start looking for a sponsor because mm-hmm. once you have a sponsor you can go to any car you want and hop in it mm-hmm. so the ones that are there are kids that are working at like we had ryan vargas in on this show now he doesn't work on the race cars but he works monday through friday looking for the financial support for him mm-hmm. to go race yeah. which i think is is honorable i mean if you don't know how to work on it you're not mechanically inclined fine but he's bringing something to the table, and that is a big piece, which is you know the support that a yeah. team needs. Yeah. So, um, what are uh, uh, what are some of those other things that you think a driver needs to work on nowadays? I mean, as far as like your social media, your sponsors, like talking with them or having a relationship with them, because it's something that I noticed over the years when I I would report the modified races on one day and I'd report a K and N race the other day, modified field to be filled with veterans. Guys who won multiple championships, former rookies of the year, whatever it may Mm be. Over here on the K&N slash Arca side, you had a lot of young kids that are in development deals that are just starting out and all of that. Now, one of the big things I noticed is these guys had the laps, they had the wisdom, they have the life experiences. So talking with them was easy. 
here I had to pull stuff out of the kids. You know, it's hard to get that information out of them. What What do you think that they need to work on to be able to have those better relationships with sponsors, speaking, everything? One of the things that I tell the young kids that I do help, ones that I'm friends with, is you need to go to Dale Carnegie School. Okay. Now, I don't know if he's even in existence anymore or if somebody's taking it over or what. But when I started out racing, okay, I was a mechanic, a crew chief, fabricator. I did all that. When I started driving, I wasn't that good at talking about things. I went to the bookstore. (laughs) Back then, bookstore. Now you just go online and get it. (laughs) Went to the bookstore and bought Dale Carnegie's book Mm -hmm. about learning for public speaking and how to do it and the things that make you better at it. Mm -hmm. And I read the book, and that's all I did. And I was it was a totally different world for me after that. All my interviews were better. I could speak to people better. Okay. Yeah. So you so, never really did any media training or anything? Um, no. No kidding. No. Oh, wow. And in today's world, being a driver is half about being in front of the camera and being able to speak in public and be able to speak to a sponsor, go to a boardroom and talk to people. You got to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing I would tell the young kids, figure it out. Whether you go to a class somewhere or you get a book on it or whatever you do, you have to learn how to do this. Um, You know, some of these young men are already pretty good at it. Case in point, one of my favorite people in the world is, is a good kid. He's a friend of mine. Is Kaz Grala. Mm-hmm. My Lord, I could sit there and listen to Kaz all day. When he does interviews on Sirius, it's like the guy's been doing this for 30 years. Yeah, he, he's just phenomenal. A, yeah, he has a very outgoing personality. I remember from when I interviewed him back in the days when he was coming up through the ranks. And and then you got kids that, you know, I won't mention names, but really can't hardly put a sentence together in front of a camera and they're always looking down and then talking to the guy like this and you can't do that yeah you can't you have to be engaging you know if you can't talk to the camera at least talk to the guy that's interviewing you right. you know and be engaging and outgoing and that's really hard for for some people to do that it was hard for me i grew up my as nature, I'm a shy person. Mm-hmm. I just, I learned how to get through it and understand you can't be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still certain situations where I'm pretty shy about things. I got you. I understand. We're uh, we're getting close to the end of the, the show, but one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you <coughs> and uh, bring this up, I was always curious about it, and I watched it on TV a bunch of years ago when you won, I think it was Kansas or Kentucky. Uh, and Kentucky, Kyle Bush popped you out of the way, and you won the race later afterwards. And in victory lane, you said you wanted to thank Kyle, uh, thank Kyle for being a dirty driver to help you get to victory lane. <laughs> yeah. What I the, the cameras show him showing up in victory lane. What was the conversation? What, tell us the whole story and what happened. So he, you got you he got you off your fuel cycle or something, right? Well, so we all pitted. Okay, and we came out, and I was faster than Kyle. We came out like fourth, past third, past second. I run Kyle down. It's about eight laps. And going into three, I drive under him and I pass him. I get just a little loose, so he kind of drives to the outside of me. And he knew what he was doing. No matter what he says, he knew what he was doing. (laughs) He drove down on my door. 
to get me loose so we, I could take the air off. Right. The air off. Well, I end up spinning out, spun down through the grass in the infield. Caution comes out. So we we have to come in and pit because one of the bed tops came loose. So we had to tape it all down. Of course, we put tires on it. Now, this was the last run of the race, right? This is the end of the race. Fill it up with fuel. Take off. Here we go. Green. I'm, like, restarting 28th. Thing was a rocket ship. Drove all the way up. Got the fifth with probably 12 or 15 laps to go. Now, I had eight laps more fuel than everybody. Right. If they were all running out. So right. they all, they got to start pitting. Caution hadn't come out. They all start pitting. Then one pits, Kyle pits. They all start pitting. So now we're leading the race with like five laps to go, six laps to go. Junior comes up. Now the next car, next truck behind me is 25 seconds, right? <laughs> Junior says, I need you to start saving fuel just to be safe. I think we're okay, but just to be safe. So I literally rode around the racetrack in Kentucky at half throttle. All the way around it for five laps. We had plenty of fuel. We had like two gallons left. So we win. Go to Victor Lane. I get out. I said, that was a great run. But the first, I mean, right off the bat, first thing I got to do is I got to thank Kyle Bush for driving me dirty, <laughs> sucking me around so I could come in and get fuel and make it to the end of the race. Oh. So the interview was just got over. It was only over like two minutes. And here he come, flying into the in the victory lane. He was in his trailer, saw my interview on the TV. That's how mad he was. He lost. He was already in the, in the trailer changing clothes. Right. And I'm just getting the victory lane. He saw the interview come flying into victory lane. And get something. I didn't drive you. I, quite a few explicitives going back and forth. <laughs> I didn't drive you dirty. You know that. You, I know you did. You knew what you were doing. You're driving like that because you know I'm kicking your ass. <laughs> Oh, God, it was funny. Yeah. I remember watching it on TV. I'm like, I can't hear what they're saying, but... Uh, oh, they showed it all on TV. Oh, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. You, couldn't, you couldn't... If I was a lip reader, I could probably understand the whole conversation, but oh, my God, I remember watching that. I was like, oh, look at look at Todd, man, <laughs> talking smack. I was like, that was some cool shit. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, me, me and Kyle had that love-hate, friendly rivalry going on. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, what did uh, did you have any rivalries with anyone else? Uh, Not really. Anyone get under your skin? Or no. who did you play a lot of bumper tag with uh, over Not the years? Really, uh, everybody, you know. Yeah. That was the thing about truck racing, uh, especially truck racing. You could, you could rub people. You could give them shots, and they could give you shots. And it was, it was... Yeah, it was Rubbin's racing, but we never wrecked each other. It wasn't to clean you out. No. Yeah. No. And uh, that's what made it fun. And the best part about those times, and you'd never see this today, you see it a little bit in that the guys get away from the track and they'll go to dinner together or something because their wives are friends. But we were all friends. We all hung out after the race, you know, in our motorhomes, and we we drink beer together and – you know, we we travel together sometimes, and it just we were all friends even after rubbing on the racetrack. It just, but it, we were also older. We'd been through our glory days of racing. We'd all raced Cup, mm-hmm. we'd all raced Xfinity, and we were we were came to the Truck Series to to end our careers and have fun and enjoy what we did. 
So we did. Yeah, and that's different... what it looked like a lot of you guys were doing too. Because oh. Skinner was having a blast. Oh, Born we did. Day. We had I so mean, much fun. Dennis Setzer, I mean, you know, yeah. he, who is just a legend in the short tracks and everything. Yeah, we had we had a blast. But but here was the good part about it though too. <clears throat> what I saw was that those young kids that were still coming up through the ranks could come to you guys for your wisdom. Yes, you know, and your advice and your guidance. You know where. A lot of it has been diluted because the drivers are younger and younger now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you have no veterans anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Crafton's forty seven; he's the oldest guy out there. Right. You know, and then Grant and Ben. You know, Grant's I think thirty three or so, and Ben mm-hmm. I think is twenty eight. So that's our veterans. I mean, we were all in our forties right. when we were doing that. And, and, you and know, but and we came there to finish our careers. And this is the difference of today. Now today's truck drivers are coming there to start their careers and make a name. So they think they have to go out there and run balls to the wall every lap mm-hmm. to make their name. Well, that's not how it's done. Look at Corey Heim and what he did this year. The kid was rock solid from day one. Didn't make mistakes. You know, he had to sit out St. Louis. And after that, the kid was just phenomenal to watch every week. Mm-hmm. If he had a truck that was going to finish fifth, he finished fifth. You know, if he had a truck to win, he was going to win. He didn't take more than it was going to give him. He had 15 top 10s in a row. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I say one thing I say to all the kids, watch what he did. Learn from it. Right. I got you. <clears throat> really cool stuff. Uh, your family, of course, having all the involvement in the modified racing for, for all those years. The last time you drove a modified was what, 2004? Was it New Hampshire? I think it was. Yeah, race one, race in New Hampshire. Any desire to get back in uh, one again? I would love to. When Hermie started his team, (laughs) uh, he had called me and said, look, man, I got a couple of races open if you want to run. I was like, yeah, I'd I'd like to do it. Well, it ended up the races that he had open, I couldn't do because of TV. Oh, okay. You know, TV is my priority, and it's the way it's going to stay. Right, right. And uh, we had Mike Bliss on the show, and he even said he goes, "I want to try, you know, I'd like to try a modified." Oh, modifieds you know. are so much fun. Mike Bliss, another good, you know, truck There's driver. They're so much fun. So, all right, well, we've had Chris Williams on the show, who's been the director of the Smart Modified Tour. So, Chris, if you're listening, Todd Bodine, another possible candidate to put in a, a modified. So, keep, keep that in mind because Newman's running them. Mm-hmm. Hermie Hobson won. Uh, yeah. um, uh, Bobby's won what three three races? I think this year. Well, of course, I see Bobby at the studio all the time because he comes and do the hub and he's he's having so much fun racing those cars yeah andy petrie had one for a little while too and yeah. he was loving it that yeah. yeah that was the other thing bobby said he said that is probably the most freaking fun i've ever had you know it is in a race car it so, is very you know cool. and it's as a driver like a guy like bobby you know and, and ryan too it's it's a deal where you get to go out you get to compete doing what you love to do with zero pressure. Right. Okay. It's all about going out and just doing the best you can with what you got and having fun. Yeah. There's no better racing than that. It is. It's pretty cool when that you don't have to worry about points or money. And I'll tell you, that Smart Tour is competitive. Man, we, we've gone to watch a couple of races. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey Coulter is a friend of ours, a good friend of ours, Joey and Jess. And uh, we went to watch him a couple of times. And, that's a competitive series. It really it is. And I've I talked to guys like Burt Myers and 
who's run the modified tour compared to smart and i said how competitive is this compared to the he goes it is just it is right on par yeah he's the technology the cars that's it everybody's got good cars now mm-hmm. yeah yeah well man definitely want to thank you for coming in and no uh, we definitely got to put that modified thing together you know? love to do it either love that or uh, you know show up at um mountain creek or millbridge one night for the the dirt races like your, your nephew's never ra- yeah i never raced dirt i don't I would love to do it, but it's I got to get out and practice, and you know, and, yeah. it's fun, man. I went from pavement to dirt. You got to give it a try, man. Yeah. Just to go play, just to just to to try it. But definitely, um, thank you for coming in. We definitely appreciate no you. I love it, dude. man. Appreciate Todd, it. That was awesome. Todd Bodine joins us on the Derek Pernasiglio show. We want to thank him for coming in, and remember to follow us on YouTube at the Derek Pernasiglio. Hit uh, show, hit that like and subscribe button. Same name uh, to follow on Facebook. In Instagram and Twitter. Keep up with us at Real DP Show. So for Todd Bodine, I'm Derek Prentice saying we'll see you the next time. Bye.